Welcome to a movement of kindness and empathy. You're listening to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Embarking on a mission to unite our city under the banner of compassion, we're one among 440 cities around the globe standing together to build a more compassionate world. Now introducing the man leading the charge, your host, Will Rucker. Welcome to Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm Will Rucker, and I am so excited that you continue to tune in week after week for your weekly dose of compassion. Joining us today is one of my favorite people, and I'm probably going to say she's one of your favorites as well, none other than the Congresswoman from District 3 here in Nevada, Congresswoman Susie Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Will. It's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. Thanks for fitting us in on this fabulous Friday. I wanted to start with just the same question I kind of ask everybody, which is, how do you define compassion? Uh, You know, most importantly, um, compassion to me means meeting people where they are. And uh, I have two children, and I always would tell them, you know, no matter what, if if you have a friend or someone who is acting strange or acting out in school or being mean to you, remember, you don't know what's going on in their life. And I think compassion is understanding that we all are carrying some sort of burden. Who knows what it is? And we're all living a life and trying to do our best and understanding that everyone's just trying to show up and um, giving them the grace to be able to do that and understanding we make mistakes and how do we help each other learn from those mistakes and move on. And honestly, it's really about building a better, whether it's building a better family, a better neighborhood, a better community, and ultimately in the work that I do, a better nation where we can, you know, meet people, make sure they know that they're seen and they're heard and uh, that you have some understanding, even if you don't necessarily know exactly the ins and outs, some understanding uh, that they may be having a struggle in their life and uh, being able to give them the time, um, you know, to be themselves. I absolutely love that. And there are so many great nuggets in that giving folks grace. You don't know what's going on in their life. We all have burdens. I mean, all of that's so important to remember. And I I say that you do model that because I've seen you at a number of roundtables where you sit there and listen to whether it's faith community or others, and you're just listening to what's going on so that you can alleviate their suffering and make their lives better. So I want to know in your role, Can you think of a specific instance where you were like, this is a compassionate thing to do, so we're going to make this decision? Well, listen, I, you know, I think um, so many times in my role, it's, uh, you know, obviously voting for pieces of legislation, standing up, especially because I'm a member of the Appropriations Committee. I have a lot of people who come into my office uh, advocating to make sure that, for instance, if their child is suffering from an illness, making sure that I'm fighting to uh, ensure that the National Institutes of Health is doing the research they need to do on what might be a life-saving treatment or drug for their child, 
I just sponsored a, uh, a child care cancer piece of legislation, you know, basically do, figuring out so much about the work that I do isn't always about passing a bill. It might be about writing a letter if something, you know, someone's having a problem with the Veterans Administration or Social Security Administration, being able to pick up the phone and advocate for them, uh, whether, you know, they have a disability claim that hasn't been settled. Uh, all You know, there's all sorts of ways that um, people are calling my office asking for help. Um, and making sure that I'm showing up for them. And that's why I'm so proud of my staff that I have here in Southern Nevada. I mean, you know, I got elected in 2019. Uh, we had the government shut down. So right away we were helping uh, many federal employees who were without pay access services. And then, of course, the pandemic, helping people get through the pandemic and uh, every day helping, whether it's people with Social Security, with the IRS, et cetera. So, you know, we invest a lot in my constituent services, making sure that when people are up against a wall and they don't know where to turn, that they can always reach out to my office. And if we can't help them, we'll at least point them in the right direction, uh, you know, and lead them along the way to make sure they get the help that they need. Absolutely. And I do have to to commend your your team because, I mean, they're everywhere. Number one, any community event, you have someone there <laughs> representing are. you and they're always just such a delight to be around and to speak with and professional and prompt. I mean, I just I could go on and on, but I'm sure you know that they're they're wonderful. That's why you have them. Right. Yeah. And listen, I mean, another, you know, key piece of legislation, we had so many people. Uh, call our office struggling under the prescription drug pricing. And for years and years and years, Congress has been talking about allowing a Medicare to negotiate. And really what that means for the average Joe, you know, for the average family is uh, if the largest buyer of prescription drugs can negotiate a price that they are going to have the buying power. And with that buying power, they're going to be able to negotiate a lower price. And once pharmaceutical companies start offering a drug at a lower price for seniors on Medicare, in general, you're going to see that trickle down to every, you know, to all families. It's not just Medicare. You know, that was the same with insulin drugs, capping uh, the price of insulin at $35 a month. Now, again, that was only intended to be for seniors, but we've already seen pharmaceutical companies extend that price cut uh, to anyone who has to buy insulin. So, you know, it's sort of like listening to what people are struggling for and then making sure you're advocating and, you know, really working behind the scenes to get legislation over the finish line so that you could provide this type of relief for families. Yeah. And one thing I do appreciate about you is, I mean, you have a presence, like you're you're definitely visible, but you're not one of the individuals that um, I'll say is present in drama. You do get your work done behind the scenes and you're you're always above board. So uh, you represent Nevada well, I guess is what I'm saying here. Well, thank you. You know, I always say when it comes to democracy that it's a team sport. And um, you certainly need people who I call the agitators, the people who are out there on social media pushing 
for, you know, whether you're talking about LGBTQ rights or talking about, you know, climate change and advocating for climate change legislation, uh, voting rights, uh, criminal justice reform, you know, you name it. You always need those people who are elevating the awareness uh, of our society to the injustices that are going on. And so, you know, I always value those types of legislators who are out there doing that. I happen to be one that tries to roll up my sleeves and work behind the scenes. And as you know, I work hard in a bipartisan manner, which is obviously difficult in this polarized environment. But to me, it's really about, you know, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't find a solution that is durable, meaning that, you know, we might be able to find a solution that you can pass if Democrats control the House and the Senate and in the presidency. But, you know, maybe four years later, eight years later, if the tide turns, that then you're in a position where all of that great work gets wiped out. So I like to think see things done in a bipartisan manner because uh, they're more likely to um, survive, I guess, you know, and um, and that's really what's been what I was most proud of in this last legislative, you know, last Congress when we passed the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the bipartisan Chips and Science Act to bring manufacturing back to America. We even passed bipartisan gun safety legislation, which was the first time in several decades something had been done like that. So, you know, I pride myself in being the one who's negotiating, trying to find, you know, everyone always talks about their red line. You know, I like to talk about where are the areas that we agree on, and then let's work from that point out and try to get to a solution. Because if you each start talking about your red line, then you're going to stand behind your red line and you're not going to get anything done. Um, And so to me, that's really important about the type of work that I do uh, in Washington. Yeah. And I think that that's exactly the heart of compassion is finding those areas of commonality, because at the end of the day, we are far more alike than we are different. And we really do all want to make uh, this place better and better for all of us. So you spend a lot of time, most of your time, working for others, taking care of others, making decisions that influence others. What are you doing to take care of yourself? Self-compassion is one of the things (laughs) I believe in. So so what are you doing to, to make sure you're all right? Well, you know, I'm very committed to exercise and getting outside. So at least once a day, I'm doing something outdoors, either here or in Washington. I think being out in nature is very, very healing. And it takes it's taking time for me to think and just sort of, you know, get off my phone and get outside. I meditate as well. I think taking some time just to shut your brain down, uh, you know, and try to get rid of the echoes and, you know, get rid of the chatter in your brain and just really focus on, uh, you know, getting centered is important as well. So, um, and I have two kids, uh, my daughter, Nevada, my son, Cody, um, so, you know, they're both not living in Las Vegas, they're in school now. So, 
uh, taking time when I can to be with them. And I always say it's about quality over quantity because when your kids grow up, you get less and less quantity. So you better take the quality uh, when you can get it and enjoy those pockets of time that you have to spend with them. For sure. And I, I too love the outdoors. I'm not too far from Mount Charleston and I also go down to Red Rock when I get the occasion. So I love to do those trails and just be in uh, nature, which for me is unique because I'm from Michigan where we have no mountains. Um, so it's <laughs> well, I'm really from Ohio place. too. So okay. same, same as you. Maybe that's why I love it so much because it's so different. Yeah, definitely. But I do wonder, you know, my work is is nowhere near as um, impactful as yours because you're influencing the nation. And, you know, I just got a few folks I have to take care of. How do you disconnect from the job to truly be present when you are with your kids or when you are engaging in self-compassion? Yeah, you know, that is uh, a very difficult task for sure, because um, you know, you're no matter, like, even when I'm out with friends, um, the, the conversation invariably ends back towards politics. It's so, uh, you know, it's on top of people's minds. Um, and so my kids and I spend a lot of time skiing, you know, we like to ski, we like to hike and mountain bike, you know, when you're doing sports like that, you really have to focus on what you're doing. You know, you can't really be thinking about things in the back of your mind. You got to be present and focusing on what's in front of you. Um, you know, and I, I will say it's difficult, you know, even taking time to read a book. Sometimes I'll be reading a book and I'll catch myself thinking about, you know, 15 things I need to be doing. I always say this job is the ultimate FOMO job, uh, fear of missing out. Like there's always, wherever you are, there's always four other places you could potentially be. And so you're always analyzing, like, I am I in, you know, in the right place? And for me, it's when you get there, you're with the people you're with and be present for them, you know, and be with them. And, you know, I will say it's one of the most fascinating parts of this job is uh, the exposure I've had to so many incredible people and incredible communities. I've learned so much about, you know, even I, like I said, I started off this segment talking about families who are suffering illnesses. I mean, I've learned so much about rare diseases that I were rare. I never really knew about, you know, or um, just learning about different communities uh, here in Southern Nevada. Um, to me, you know, we are such a rich, diverse community. And uh, it is, in my opinion, our strength in Southern Nevada. And so being able to represent uh, such a diverse community has been really um, incredible for me, such a, a life-changing and um, educational experience. It's been incredible. 
Yeah, I can I can only imagine how many different things come across your desk. I'm a, a lifelong avid learner and, and my attention span is probably that of a gnat because I'm like, oh, I want to <laughs> see this. I want to see that. I want to do this. So I know with with everyone coming to your office, you get to learn a lot. I'm, I want to switch focus for just a moment here. We are celebrating pride, LGBTQIA plus pride here in Southern Nevada uh, this weekend. So I want to know a couple things. One, is is there anyone in the LGBT community that has particularly inspired you? And two, why have you been such a strong ally or what led you down that path to be uh, such a great advocate for LGBT rights? Well, I have obviously so many personal friends and family members uh, who inspire me every day. I would say in Congress, uh, former Congressman David Cicilline, uh, who was the chair of the Congressional Equality Caucus or co-chair, uh, the author of the Equality Act, um, and a good friend of mine. He's no longer in Congress. He is now in Rhode Island, but he has definitely been a friend and an inspiration. And to me, you know, uh, uh, LGBTQ plus rights are about basic civil rights and about basic equality and basic justice. And I believe that you should be able to love who you want to love, that you should be able to live a full and complete life. And it should not dependent be dependent on your gender identity uh, or your sexual identity. And so um, I, I, to me, it's a basics rights issue. And I think that uh, we've seen so much progress, and and then it feels like sometimes you're two steps forward, and sometimes one step back, uh, sometimes two two steps back. I mean, we've certainly seen uh, some Supreme Court decisions that came down uh, this year that were uh, entire, you know, incredibly distressing. Um, and so, for me, it's just you always have to be on your toes and always have to be pushing forward. Um, you know, and just like reproductive, reproductive choice, I always, you know, that is a major issue I've been a leader on. And again, it's basic rights that uh, I believe that each human should have the potential and the or the ability has the potential, but should have the ability to live a full, complete and dignified life. And that uh, government should not be getting in the way of that. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to dive in a little more deeply, but we're coming up on the end of our time together. We just got a few minutes. So I, I want to ask the LGBT issue is often polarizing. And if you're looking at religious communities, sometimes it's polarizing there or more conservative areas. How do you navigate situations when policy and compassion might even seem to be at odds? Well, I think most important, you got to give people a chance to um, make their uh, views known, right? And uh, I feel so much about what's happened uh, really since, honestly, social media is that people have found it so easy to get behind a screen and to tweet out or, you know, text out some vitriol and remain anonymous and drop their phone and walk away. 
And to me, that's not constructive. I think uh, sitting down and having the conversations of, you know, why do you feel the way you do? Uh, have you ever thought about it this way? Um, and I think having those conversations, one, are important for me and uh, two, important for people on the other side of the issue. And I, to me, I think that's the most important um, uh, thing I can do when it comes to debating and understanding some of these issues that are very uh, and, and honestly, I will say, especially when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues and you've seen all of the, um, you know, attacks on trans children and trans sports, um, you know, and again, I think some people view this as a fa fear tactic. And I like to bring it back to, you know, why do you feel this way? And then let's get to the facts, right, of how this happens, what actually exists. And so I think just having those tough conversations is really the way I most effectively deal with these divisive issues. Yeah, confronting it head on, sticking with facts and acknowledging that people's feelings are legitimate and valid. Um, I think all of those are great tools. Uh, before we get to my last question, I do want to know, particularly for young people, what message of hope can you convey? Because I can tell you that the young people I speak with right now are very concerned for their future. They're concerned for uh, the, the state of our democracy, really. So is there a message of hope that you can convey to them? Oh, yes. I mean, I am hopeful for the future because of young people. And um, I feel that young people today, at least that I've talked to, are more plugged in and engaged in uh, what's happening and the power of their voices. And so I always say the this world will only improve when you get involved and advocate and show up to vote and show up to run in elections. You know, um, I'm thinking about just, uh, you know, when you think about the legislation we passed on gun safety, again, it wasn't the be all end all, but it was a piece of bipartisan gun safety legislation. And a lot of that came through the children uh, through the young people from uh, Florida, from the Stonewall Douglas uh, High School, who, you know, you have Maxwell Frost, who is now a member of Congress, who helped create an office of gun safety in the president, in the White House, uh, which had never been done before. You know, those types of, um, you know, again, they are steps. They're not, you know, wiping out. Uh, all the problems, but they're making progress. And so I, I feel very hopeful that when young people show up and get involved and understand how important their voices as a voting block, as an advocacy block, uh, that we're going to see a change, uh, not just across this country, but across this world. And, you know, when you think about climate change, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, again, I have two, uh, my son's 19, my daughter's 23. Uh, that is top of mind for young people. Uh, we just passed the most significant investment in climate change in history. Um, and so those, you know, that advocacy 
does have an impact. And so I, I always say, don't un- underestimate the power of your voice, but you got to show up, you got to vote, you got to make sure your friends vote, you got to remain educated and you got to just keep pushing forward. And I know sometimes it's frustrating uh, how things move so slowly, but you never know when the environment's going to be ripe for you to make that uh, breakthrough. And that's why it's important to keep working on the issues that you're passionate about because, you know, there's things that are outside of our control. Like I think about, you know, the gun safety, led the Safer Communities Act that we passed. Um, this was at a time when the Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision came down and Roe v. Wade was overturned. And several days, uh, I don't know if it was after or before you had the Uvalde horrific gun, uh, you know, shoot the shooting at that school down in Uvalde, Texas. Um, and so at that moment, uh, many of my colleagues, Republicans who would not have moved any piece of legislation on gun safety were like, OK, we got to do something because we're on the wrong side of both of these issues when it comes to the American public. And that's when the environment was ripe for us to be able to pull together uh, that gun safety legislation. Unfortunately, it took uh, such a horrific act and we're still not out of the woods in terms of uh, the gun uh, epidemic, gun violence epidemic in this country. So I just say keep moving forward and keep advocating because uh, you are the future and your voice will be the most powerful voting block um, out there and use it. Awesome. I think that's a great place to leave it. I so appreciate you joining Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. Before I let you go, I've got to ask this. What's the (laughs) one song you're listening to right now that keeps you moving, keeps you motivated? Oh my God. Motivate. I don't know. I, this is, you're going to crack up. I have been listening to Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> okay. All right. Love her. Yeah. But, uh, I wouldn't know. I don't know if I'd say it's motivating, but, um, yeah, but I'm looking for, I'm going to see pink tomorrow night. So I'm looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you again for joining the podcast. This has been Compassionate Las Vegas, the podcast. I'm your host, Will Rucker. And as I always remind you, you are not just a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. And what you do matters. So live compassionately. We'll see you next time. 